1: With your host, Robert Anderson. He, with Sarah and Dale McKechnie, President and Vice President of Lucis Trust, will discuss philosophical and spiritual topics essential to everyday life. Now here's your host, Robert Anderson.
0: Welcome. Inner sight is simply seeing that which is always present, but not yet fully recognized. You have within you the ability to see yourself and the world around you in a new way with new eyes. So, stay with us and together we'll look at the world and ourselves with Inner Sight. Our topic for today, Being the Observer, Part 2. And before we get started, I'd like to give some credit to Alice Bailey, the founder of the Lucis Trust organization and uh, Lucis Trust uh, sponsors this show and Alice Bailey Uh, who founded the organization, wrote 24 volumes of literature, and the main main inspiration uh, for the dialogue that you hear in this show comes from the works of Alice Bailey, uh, as does the following thought. The soul has no age from the standpoint of time. It is timeless and eternal. Before the soul there passes the drama of outer existence, But in time and space, the soul ever preserves the attitude of the onlooker. It observes and interprets. And before we get started, and before I ask a question, I'd just like to, uh, maybe you can recap uh, our previous show. This is part two, and maybe some people would like um, to refresh their memories.
1: Well, as I was listening to you um, give that opening thought, it, it, it occurred to me that uh, it's really saying the soul is, what is the word, bifurcated, divided into? Did I just <laughs> no, make up yeah. that word? instead <laughs> no. hey, it, of a word? You a word. It says, before the soul there passes the drama of outer existence, but in time and space the soul ever preserves the attitude of the onlooker. I think that's a um, distillation of what being the observer is. It doesn't mean that you stand on the sidelines of life and refuse to participate, refuse to feel, refuse to experience, refuse to deal (coughs) with the ups and downs that inevitably are part of life on earth. That would be just um, tuning out and opting out of uh, the human experience. So we're not saying that's the goal, but while one is living the life of the human being on earth there is another aspect to it, the soul that remains ever aloof and above the fray and all of us have the potential to live that dual existence we talked last time about sometimes when one is in the midst of the most enormous intense crisis it's possible to remain conscious and separated from what is happening on the outer plane and aware and deeply calm. Probably many of our listeners have had that experience. Oddly enough, that kind of uh, detachment sometimes comes in the midst of the worst crises when one is really fearful or challenged in some way I think that's when the soul especially pays attention, becomes alert, is available to us in crises. That's why the Ageless Wisdom views crises as so potentially productive, because then we call upon resources that ordinarily we don't draw upon when life is going along swimmingly. But in the midst of a real crisis, one can find there is a level of consciousness, a level of experience where one is lucid and clear and alert and not suffering, even though part of one is suffering deeply.
2: And it's, it's the ability to step back and not identify with that suffering, uh, with the suffering that's going on in front of you, perhaps. Uh, and because once you become involved with what is happening, deeply, if you've become identified with it, then you're a part of it and you can't really make a, a sound judgment. You can't really see what's going on. You're in the thick of the battle and you have to be able to stand back and see the whole battle and the whole problem and then you'll see more of the solution. And usually that solution uh, lies, as we say, in the at the level of the soul. It's a more... Um, It's a more divine stage, more higher. It's part of your higher self. It's what you really are in your inner self, your higher self. And it's withdrawing to that position.
1: Which is timeless and eternal. Right. In other words, I think it's the awareness that whatever is happening to one on the outer level, there is some part of one's self that knows that the soul endures.
2: And that's what we have to rely on. It's it's pretty hard, you know, in the beginning when you when you're going through a period of crisis, not to get caught up in it, and it's very difficult to step back because at first you might think that that's a position of non-caring, mm-hmm. uh, but it isn't that. It's uh, just the opposite. In fact, you care so much, you are involved, but. Um, not to the point of losing your
1: identity. And unfortunately, sometimes there's misunderstanding about this when you have a family member or a friend who's going through crisis and wants understanding and sympathy. Sometimes they expect you to suffer with them, to enter into the misery with them. And if you don't do that, then they feel that you don't understand and you don't sympathize, you don't feel compassion. But in fact, if you were to... Uh, be pulled under by the wave of emotion and despair that the person is feeling, you couldn't help them. Keeping some distance mentally, keeping a perspective that allows you to stand back and observe what's happening can sometimes enable you to give the person uh, another perspective, some wisdom, some point of view that might help them. But you can't do that if you're right in the midst of the mess with them. But unfortunately, that's misunderstood sometimes. This is a point we talked upon about last time, that being the observer is a means of service, not only to family and friends, but it's a service that we can render to humanity as a whole. In other words, if we can get some distance from what's happening in the world today, we can perhaps build a thought form, as the age of wisdom would put it, begin to build a thought form of solution to the present problems. I think that in this country recently we've been through a a real struggle to understand what the election meant, what it signifies. And in reading all the different letters to the editor in newspapers and magazines, I've been struck by how hard people have been struggling to understand and I think that's an attempt to be the observer, not to just give in to saying, well, the people that voted differently than I am are wrong and they're stupid. There are a lot of people that with real goodwill have tried to make sense of it and see some higher purpose.
2: And it's it's very difficult because um, it isn't it isn't uh, readily apparent, I don't think, in uh, what the media is and the polls come up with. Uh, aren't necessarily the the whole story and so it's it's really calling on your own intuition to really see the, this whole question in some larger context because there are uh, energies and forces working out in the world and through this country and through every country and uh, these have an inevitable effect and depends on the, the focus of a particular group of people or a nation, where their focus is that determines how these energies work out.
1: In fact, uh, the writings of Alice Bailey say that war is an explosion of forces. Mm-hmm. It's it's a, um, a depiction on the outer planes of forces and energies that are in collision. And when we think of that, maybe it can help us make some sense of what's happening in the Middle East, that conflict which has raged for decades and is especially intense now, is representative of something, and trying to stand back and see some of the playing out of human desire and human um, aspiration and human separatism can help us to understand what the solution might be.
2: And it's, it's yes, I think we've mentioned before that we're in the transition stage between two major um, cycles of energies and um, the last 2,000 years and the next 2,000 years coming. And there is a, a kind of a, a clashing of the energies because each of these ages has a different focus and a different quality that is being worked out here. One, no, the. Not everybody would can see it from that point of view, but that's one thing we get from studying the, the ageless wisdom teachings. We get a, a sense of these energies that are working out in the world, and that's the value of reading the Alice Bailey books. Of course, you begin to get a, a, a different picture of what's really happening here. So, it's a, it's a plug for buying one of the Alice <laughs> Bailey books. And so on. Um,
1: <clears throat> but there, there are cycles, that's what comes through her writing, there, there are cycles and uh, there are ebbs and flow of energy that work out in human history, and when we get some distance, we can see this too shall pass, for one thing.
0: That's right. For those people who just tuned in, you're listening to Inner Sight, our topic for today, Being the Observer, Part 2. And, um well, Dale gave me a good segue into this. Uh, we have a special offer from Luce's Publishing Company for you, and it's on one of our books, Ponder on This, an Alice Bailey book. Uh, ponder on This is a compilation of extracts from all 24 books by Alice Bailey. It's a wonderful way to get started. I got started with the autobiography of Alice Bailey, but uh, this is certainly uh, uh, it was wonderful for me because I was able to peruse, ponder on this, and... Um, There are summaries of uh, some very powerful topics that uh, I think you might want to look at this. You can develop a priority of uh, topics you might want to look at, and then you can go to the other books and explore the topics of primary interest to you in much greater detail. And uh, the discount on Ponder on this comes in the form of of free shipping and handling, so the actual cost is $16. So what you need to do is send a check or money order for $16 to Lucis Publishing, 120 Wall Street, New York, New York, 10005. And I mentioned that you heard the offer on in our site. That's a check or money order, $16 to Lucis Publishing, Lucis, L-U-C-I-S, Lucis Publishing, 120 Wall Street, New York, New York, 10005. And... <coughs> Also, uh, a, lot, a lot of people like to order cassettes. If you'd like to order uh, a cassette of this program, title of which is Being the Observer, Part 2, send a check or money order for $5 to Lucas Trust, 120 Wall Street, New York, New York, one zero 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 five. And we thank you, by the way, for the support that you've given to us in the past, and we hope you continue to support us because that's the way we stay on radio. So if you want to... Uh, Make a donation, send those donations in the form of check or money order to Lucis Trust, 120 Wall Street, New York, New York, 10005. And we also have a uh, website, www.lucistrust.org, and you can uh, key into all of our, many of our past shows. We have um, an archive library of uh, past shows that you might want to listen to and And by the way, too, we have a uh, www.wor710.com there. You can get recent shows if you've missed uh, one show and you want to catch it right away. You can uh, key into that website, and WOR holds the recent shows for a couple of weeks. Um, I'd like to uh, return to that interesting topic, which is the Being the Observer, Part 2. And um, actually... uh, uh, how, does, how does being the observer, how does it apply to present times?
1: Well, as Dale mentioned, we are in the midst of a shift of energy that's working out in the transition of a, an old age and the coming in of a new age. There's a, a lot of confusion, I think, in uh, that people feel today. We We sense the shift and the change in the way people are living, but we don't really know what the point of it is, and where we're headed. And this, I think, is um, bringing out a lot of fear and anxiety in people. Even in young children, there's a sense of tension and anxiety and a a lack of uh, security. So the cultivation of the attitude of the observer can give some distance from the... uh, perplexity of life on the outer planes and the realization that the soul has no age, it's timeless and eternal, can be deeply reassuring in, an, in a time of such um, transition. There's a statement in the books of Alice Bailey that I was trying to think. She said something to the effect that um, uh, the soul knows that not one thing that happens to the personality, the outer being, matters in the least. That's quite shocking because we think what happens to us on the outer levels of life, health, emotions, so on, are terribly important. And she says it doesn't matter in the least to the soul. The soul is simply concerned with the evolution of consciousness, with expanding awareness. If, It takes trials and tribulation to bring about that expansion of consciousness? Fine. To the soul, that's fine. We think we should be hell-bent on avoiding suffering, but the soul may not see it that way at all. The soul seeks expanded consciousness.
2: And every life is different, of course. Uh, The soul goes through many, many lifetimes, and we've all been through many, many lifetimes, and there are many, many more lifetimes to come. And each life, the soul has a particular plan to work out. And sometimes that plan may involve a certain amount of suffering, simply because it's trying to balance out something that happened or occurred in a previous lifetime. And uh, if we can observe our own life this way from the standpoint of the soul, then maybe we can accept this uh, period of suffering a little easier, a little better.
1: And we can um, gather from what you say that we're experts in suffering and dying. We've done it many times. We're also experts in joy. It, it reminds me of a man uh, who had a... Uh, recurrent cancer. He was interviewed once on television, and uh, he was asked if he ever wondered why me, because he had struggled for years to beat back this cancer that kept coming back. And he said, no, I've never asked why me. I've had a lot of joy, a lot of happiness in my life, and that never caused me to ask even once, why me? So why should I ask why me when I'm suffering? That's, I think, expressive of the attitude of the observer. It's just part of life. And the realization that life endures and that nothing bad lasts forever can help one to climb up onto that mental level that gives a certain amount of detachment from what's happening on the outer levels of life. I think I mentioned last time that there are some practices one can undertake on a daily level that can foster the attitude of the observer one is the practice of meditation every morning the setting aside of even 5 or 10 minutes 15 or 20 if if you wish to meditate can build this alignment with the soul with the inner eternal being that you are and Lift the awareness from the outer levels of life onto the more abstract and timeless levels. That can be an enormous help to you in getting through whatever the day holds in store. Another aspect is reading spiritual texts on a regular basis. That's what's so nice about Ponder on This. It offers just brief extracts. If you don't have a lot of time, read one paragraph. And think about it as you get ready for your morning commute. And there's another practice called the evening review that I think is useful for cultivating the observer.
2: Yes, that's that's also um, it's it's a technique that we use in the uh, arcane school in the work of the the students in the arcane school. All practice meditation, of course, and the um, evening review. Which is simply a way of um, looking back at the events of the day and uh, seeing where you might have done things a little better, not look back and keep kicking yourself and and uh, saying <clears throat> you know saying bad things about yourself, but just stand back and look at it objectively and say where. I have, how could I have done this better? Or
1: What caused this? Right. What set this in, in, a, in motion? And it, it's
2: being, as we say, being very objective about it and not to get caught up in the emotions of the time, but uh, uh, it, it's seeing how it can be done better the next time. And then there is the, the, the practice of... Um, what we call there is also another practice called the review of the attitude of the observer, and uh, that that's another practice that we use in the arcane school too.
1: Taking one question a day at the end of the day to mm-hmm. develop this attitude of the observer. I don't know whether any thoughts will will come to you, Robert. But what, for example, if one asks oneself as one retires for the night, what or who is the observer? What is under observation? Mm-hmm. What thoughts come to mind? What is being observed?
2: Um, Behavior? Well, it's part of that evening review and, and um, observing, observing the day. And it's, it's, it's an exercise that's uh, very helpful because uh, what all of these exercises are doing, you know, there is a reason for them. It's like exercises on your piano. You have to practice your scales in your, on your instrument. And they're very boring, perhaps, but they they solidify your technique so it becomes automatic. And this is the same with the observer. You go through these questions, you keep questioning yourself at the end of every day, and you you look at yourself objectively, and sooner or later it becomes uh, kind of automatic and when you begin to approach your whole day in a different way. Yeah, I've
0: I've used it, uh, because yeah. you've mentioned it in, on other shows, and I found it quite uh, useful, and sometimes I feel guilty because i become aware I review the day, and it's more or less uh, I evaluate what I've done, and... Uh, and uh, I, I think the best scenario is to learn from it and then not get, I have a tendency to get stuck in it for a while and just mm-hmm. uh, beat myself up because of, oh, gee, I shouldn't have done that or I mm-hmm. could have done this in a better way. But uh, Sarah mentioned to me one time that, uh, that the highest uh, form of behavior is to uh, learn from it, to let go, and to move on. Uh, so I found it very useful in my own involvement.
1: Did I tell you that? I don't practice it. I guess I just advise it. <laughs> well, no, I think, I think it
0: was well said. And I I'm think more excited. obsessive. Well, you should learn it too then.
1: <laughs> but I'm glad that advice was so wise. No, it's true. Let go of it, but um, learn all you can from it. Life is a teaching experience. Uh,
2: and uh, there are many other questions that, in fact, <laughs> we have a whole list here, like 29 questions that
1: well, pick one can one.
2: go through here. Uh, okay can I observe myself mentally unbiased by any reaction from the emotional personal self I'm uh, not sure and that's that's a difficult thing too because to observe yourself mentally from the mental plane that's where the soul is located up on the higher regions of the mental plane and uh, so it's, it's an, a technique of lifting yourself up above the emotions of, of the day. Perhaps you had some crisis you went through at work, and it's trying to step back from that uh, emotional crisis and see the, see what's really happening, Maybe, and try to get back at the cause of what's happening, because this is all a technique of learning to develop to the capacity to see the world from the standpoint of the soul.
1: I think one thing, well, two things that help in answering that question, can I observe uh, myself with this passion, is that we should have love for ourselves. A lot of spiritually aspirational people are very hard on themselves and very self-critical, and um, that doesn't really help. We have to know that... As the soul, we are already perfected according to the ageless wisdom. On some inner level, we have already arrived at the feet of the Father, to put it in those terms. So we have to have love for ourselves, and I think another thing that helps us detach from what we observe is to know that everybody else is worthy of love. They may not be behaving as well as they should, but on some deep level, we are one, And what you are observing in the other person is the expression sometimes of the not-self, the -hmm. expression of the outer aspect of that person, but not who he or she really is as the soul. I find that very helpful. Mm
2: -hmm. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. one of the other questions that comes to mind here, it says, I am the Redeemer of the lost nature... And in what way does observation aid in this redemption? And uh, here again, it gets back to the very basic purpose of the soul, is that Redeemer and lifting up and purification and all of that that uh, sometimes we may turn away from. But it's exactly what we here on earth uh, have to be doing. It's the redemptiveness and... uh, it's it's the working with the Christ aspect within you, the redeeming aspect.
1: That kind of um, transforms one's attitude toward one's body. There's a statement in the Ageless Wisdom, I am the life to these my lives, and so resemble God. We use our bodies and misuse them with wrong eating, wrong activity, and so on. But you're saying that one is the redeemer of the lower nature, that would mean we have to learn to live within our bodies according to our highest spiritual understanding.
2: That's right, and have compassion for your body and for these little Mm. lives that uh, are also suffering because in their own level of suffering because you're abusing your body. So um, you have to think of... uh, think of yourself as this this god of this little universe, and it's your responsibility to take care of it.
1: One final question, what is the major hindrance to my constant practice of observation? That would be one each of us can answer. What gets in the way of my being the observer?
0: (laughs) Uh, We have a special offer. I hope you take advantage of it. It's from Lucy's publishing company. It's the book that Sarah mentioned a moment ago. Ponder on this, and the Discount that you're getting comes in the form of free shipping and handling. So uh, it's reduced to $16. So send a check or money order for $16 to Lucis Publishing. Lucis is L U C I S. Lucis Publishing, 120 Wall Street, New York, New York, 10005. And to order a cassette of this program, uh, being The Observer or any program that you hear, send a check or money order for $5 to Lucis Trust, 120 Wall Street, New York, New York, 10005. You have been listening to Inner Sight. Now we would like to close with a world prayer called the Great Invocation. It's a call for light and love and goodwill to flow into the world and into our heart. Let's listen for a moment to these powerful words.